under my skin I've got you deep in the heart of me So deep in my heart that you're really a part of me I've got you under my skin I tried so Well, it's the Life of an Average Joe podcast again. I am back in the studio. Yeah, yeah, in the studio, right? I can't wait until I can actually get my own little studio section of my new place when we move. Um, Being able to to do these, uh, some of them remotely, some of them in the studio, some of them with the help of my good friend, uh, that that really helps me out. But man, being able to have my own little private Idaho to record these is going to be amazing. I uh, hope you guys are doing good. I am doing good. Just uh, very, um, you know, I'm tired. You know, I, I feel like there's been so much going on um, lately that it's just been nonstop. And it's that mental exhaustion. I, I just talked to somebody about how super important it is that we find time to unplug and I'm not always that good at it. Um, I feel almost guilty sometimes when I unplug because I have so much stuff to do and I'm not doing it. So it's like this weird guilt. Uh, but after I record this podcast, I am unplugging for at least the next four hours until I pass out and go to bed. Um, you know, sometimes you have to unplug before bed. Like I don't care how tired I am. Sometimes you just need to unwind before you go to bed. And I've, I've had people be like, dude, if you're tired, go to bed. And I'm like, but then I don't get to unwind. My brain is not unwind, unwinded, rested, decompressed. My body might be, but then I wake up and my brain's like, hey, what's going on, Brandon? What I missed? Let me tell you what you missed. Here we go. It's like rapid spitfire of everything I have to do today. Even when I'm chilling, relaxing, and having a good time, it's like rapid spitfire test of everything that I have to do. So I'm going to do that. But I had to record this podcast first. And I'm glad I did. I'm, I'm excited about this one. Um, I say that a lot, but I feel like lately, man, I feel like my podcasts have been on point. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but maybe I've just enjoyed doing them and I'm the only one who cares. But whatever. Um, remember, if you've missed any of them, you can find all of them on any platform. Or you can just go to the Life of an Average Joe podcast.com and you can go ahead and sign up for the emails. You can sign up for the merch. Merch, 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 merch. Um, you could go ahead and just see all the shows. They're listed with the descriptions and the platforms that they're on, as well as every episode of Trash Talk uh, with Stuart Sachs. So uh, that show has been fun. We have uh, been doing that for a year and a half now, and it's been it's been crazy. We're about to up the game on that show, much like I'm about to up the game on this podcast. Um, with more live content. We've got more stuff, fun stuff going on on TikTok, so make sure you follow the good old TikTok, um, as well as, you know, Facebook uh, for now. Um, We'll be on Facebook regardless, even though Facebook has turned out to not be a friend to the podcaster, but I I digress. You know, I've talked about music a lot on this show. Um, I've talked about the influence of music that that, that it has, like meaning... Music in my life. I love music. I love when I work out, when I go for a run. Uh, When I'm writing, I I listen to a lot of music. Sometimes I write and I have random stuff on in the background. Um, 
New Girl, The Office, uh, something I don't have to pay attention to. When I was rewatching The Sopranos again, I would write during The Sopranos because I've already know what's happening, but I want to watch it again, you know, or Parks and Rec or one of those shows that I can just kind of get into. Because if I put on like a new series or a documentary, then I know I'm going to focus on that and not focus on my writing. Sometimes I listen to podcasts uh, when I write, uh, but a lot of times, more often than not, I listen to music. I have different playlists for different moods. I have different playlists for different times of the day. And sometimes I just put on my, like, shuffle of everything. And it could go from Tupac to Eminem to Mumford and Sons to Cody Jinks to Parker McCollum back to Cypress Hill to Rage Against the Machine. Like, it's all over the place, you know? And sometimes it's nice when you're writing to have those different songs pop up because they inspire you. You know, they, they, they just inspire you. And it's, it's really cool. Uh, it's really cool to have that. And I've talked about concerts and my artists and, and people that are, have influenced me music-wise. We talked about David Bowie, Tupac. Um, you know, I talked about going to the Dean Martin Fest. I would be, it would be a crime if I didn't talk about the man himself, the voice, the chairman of the board, Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra is in my top echelon of everything. Frank Sinatra isn't just music. He isn't just a singer. He's life. He, there's a reason that he was called the voice. There's a reason that he's called the chairman of the board. There's a reason that he's called, you know, the man. He's the Rat Pack. He's with the Rat Pack. You know, there was a reason that he had all these, you know, old blue eyes. He had all these monikers. There's a reason for that but he is life and what i mean by that is his the music is 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 just an extension of him the way that he delivers those lyrics and those tones and those notes are extension of him but it's so much more than just the songs that he sang it's so much more than his musical career because frank sinatra was bigger than the music frank sinatra the person the personality the man the son the friend the husband the father was more than just the music and throughout my you know a, a large chunk of my life i always had this thing with Frank Sinatra, this connection, so to speak, because of when I heard the music at a young age from what I read about him and from what I even started to enjoy at a young age. It wasn't a phase with me. It wasn't a phase, you know. It might have been a phase in when I was younger and I had Frank Sinatra albums framed and pictures framed in my you know, my, my first apartment and stuff like that. Cause you know, when you're, when you're a dude and you get your first apartment, you just kind of go to town, you know, you have this hodgepodge of, of furniture and you want to, you want to decorate it the way you want. So I had my Frank Sinatra stuff all over the place and there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, I still have a framed Frank Sinatra picture in the garage, you know? Um, and I still have Frank Sinatra albums and I still have a couple framed Frank Sinatra albums actually. Uh, where are they? Come to think about it, I don't know where they are. Oh, they're they're in the garage. Um, I had to think about that. I started to have a panic attack. But you know, when you're when you're that that young dude in this apartment, 
doing what you want. You got to display that. You got to display your movies. You got to display all your liquor bottles on top of the cabinets to show everybody how cool they look or just how much you drink. It's, it's really a dumb thing that I think we all do. I've seen girls do it too. Okay. Let's, I'm not going to say that, um, that I haven't. I've seen girls do it too. I've also, and not the Frank Sinatra pictures, but with the wine bottles and liquor bottles. But he's always been a part of, of my life. I, I, I love his music. I love reading about him, learning about him. And that's what I did. You know, I wanted to know Frank beyond the music. I wanted to know Frank beyond the movies that he was in. I wanted to know about his life, the good, the bad, from the people that knew him. I've got this book called, I think it's called Letters to My Father. Letters from My Father. Sorry, guys, I'm adjusting this this headphone. So if you hear me moving around, just deal with it. Um... Oh, and it's it's by his daughter. And it's a really cool tell from her perspective of her dad, you know, the time and the connection that she had. It's not about his music. It's not about what he did with his other members of the family. It's what he did with her. And you get to see this perspective and this view from his daughter um, that only she could tell. And it really gives another insight to Frank Sinatra because he was a complicated man. He was different. He he had his vices, you know. And, and it starts off. Look, Frank Sinatra was born December twelfth, night. Gosh, this this headphone situation is not. Could be my setup. Can somebody fix this? Um, thank you. Uh, it was. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm totally distracted. Frank Sinatra was born on December 12, 1915, in Hoboken, New Jersey. Now, New Jersey's not big, big to begin with, so Hoboken's even smaller. It's a lot like, it's funny to think about that these guys, like Dean Martin, who came from Steubenville, Ohio, who had these massive careers and personalities and these connections, come from these little tiny itty-bitty towns, like Hoboken, New, Jer- New Jersey. Now, he was the only child of his parents, okay, and his birth was rough. I mean, when Frank Sinatra came into this world, he came into this world tough. Now, it's 1915. So giving ba- you know, having babies back then was still a dangerous thing. It's not to say that they didn't survive, but there was a lot of things that were, that were, that were done different that they weren't done today. You know, there's always a cause of injury and death. But Frank Sinatra got injured because of forceps, because he was delivered during the, you know, he was delivered with the aid of these forceps, and they caused really severe injuries to his left cheek, his neck, and his ears. And that damage, the scars and things, that remained with him for the rest of his life. I mean, if you look at pictures of Frank, especially as he was younger, as he got older, you could kind of see them, you know, change and they got better. But he had these scars on his face and he had a scar on his neck and he had these injuries. And it was all from that, you know, that that childhood of, of him first coming into this world and taking that breath. So Frank Sinatra was born tough in a tough town of Hoboken, New Jersey. Now, his parents, his mom, she was a little bit of a rule breaker. So you could kind of see why Frank Sinatra maybe had his, pers- you know, his, his uh, I guess you could say got some of his personality traits from. His mom, Dolly, uh, she was a very tough woman. She was bold. She told it how it was, right to your face. She didn't care. She had numerous encounters with the law and held criminal records. She used to help fill the old ballot boxes. So back in the day when you were trying to win votes... <laughs> 
deja vu. Look, I'm not saying that that happened. I'm just saying, if anybody thinks that the politicians aren't corrupt, you guys are wrong. Both sides. Um, she used to fill the ballot boxes for corrupt politicians. So for local politics, she'd go fill them. She would literally cast multiple, multiple, multiple votes, and she would get these people in office. She also used to, care, used to uh, carry out illegal abortions for free. They called her Hat Pin Dolly. You can imagine. I'm sure those abortions were scary back then in 1915. Allegedly, allegedly, she also used to pay people to sneak booze around these county, uh, counties and she would get a cut of it. It's pretty wild. So... You could kind of see where Frank is, was growing up, and I'm sure he heard about these things. Kind of had these connections to his mother and the fact that Frank was a very bold man. And Frank did a lot of these things. I mean, Frank did some things that were very, very questionable. We know this. One of the biggest problems that Frank had was he had a marriage habit. And I'm not... This segment or this podcast is not a A&E biography on Frank Sinatra. I'm just kind of giving you some history. For those that don't know Frank Sinatra, and I want to throw some facts out there, talk a little about his music and tie it back to me. Um, and there's a reason for this, because I can relate to Frank Sinatra. I know that sounds crazy, but there's a lot of traits, and it probably goes with his heritage as well as mine. There's probably a lot of traits that he has that I think were great. There's probably some that he has that I definitely don't think are great, that I might have had in my, at one point in my life, too. Um, this is not one of them. Frank Sinatra had this marriage habit. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to tell you, he had a marriage habit, okay? He was married four times, and he had at least six, and I say at least six, major notable relationships in between. He's got three children, at least re- legitimate, verified children, and he's probably had one or two questionable relationships in his life that caused him a lot of drama. Most, most notably, Ava Garter. We know the traumatic, toxic relationship that those, those two had. A very horrible situation. But Frank, you know, he had his first wife, Nancy. And they, were, they grew up together. They loved each other. They grew up together. Uh, they were best friends. They were, you know, if you could call it high school sweethearts, that's what they were. And, I mean, obviously he named his daughter after Nancy. His second being Ava Gardner, which, famous actress, horrible situation. I wouldn't even get into that. It's worth it. If you don't know the, the history, if you want to know what Frank Sinatra's downfall is, one of them, it's that woman right there. Do you ever meet, have you ever met somebody in your life that you are so connected to? And you, you it could be a, a guy, a girl, it could just be a, a person. But you have this, this bond, this very strong bond. And... You have this fiery love and maybe even passion uh, if you're in that relationship. But you know the fireworks and the toxic uh, traits that are coming out and you ignore them and you continue to push because you have this bond. And ultimately, you know what happens. It never works out. It causes you a lot of grief, a lot of sleepless nights, headaches, maybe money, maybe others, stuff. That was a situation with Ava. And that was his second wife. And that that... That was a mess. And then, of course, he was, you know, married to Mia Farrow. And then finally, uh, Barbara Marks. So, Frank had a marriage problem. 
not just because he wanted to get married all the time and treat it like a habit. He had a marriage problem because he couldn't stay married. Okay, Frank Sinatra was not a loyal man in this sense. He was on the road. He was one of the, he was the biggest name in the country. He was the biggest singer in the country. He was he owned Vegas. He made Vegas. He owned everything. He I mean, look, he got a president into the White House and we'll get to that in a minute. Frank Sinatra was a ball of energy, of charismatic power. When he came into a room, he demanded your attention. Not by being a strong uh, presence, meaning he was not mean. He was, I mean, he had a temper, but he was not like, you will listen to me. He just demanded it because he just started talking. You wanted to hear what was coming out of his mouth. If he was telling a story, you wanted to hear it. If he was telling a joke, you wanted to hear it. If he was just talking about his personal problems, you wanted to hear it. It didn't matter what was going on. It didn't matter who you were with. If Frank Sinatra managed to walk through the doors of the same restaurant that you were in, you were going to stay even if you were done eating. So he demanded that. The problem with that is when you have that type of personality and you attract all these people, you put yourself in these situations. You put yourself in situations that maybe you wouldn't normally be in. It wasn't about the power and the fame and the money. It was, he wasn't happy. Frank Sinatra was never happy with himself. You know, you're talking about a man that, that called himself an 18-karat gold uh, manic depressive. This headphone situation. Can we? I'm going to switch headphones, guys. Um, yeah, he called himself that. I mean, he, he, he had depression issues. He called him an 18-karat, not 18-karat uh, gold, 18-karat manic depressive. He said that because, I mean, he, he would get in these moods. And, and this happens with a lot of people. A lot of times when you are the center of attention and you have people that are your beck and call people, your yes men and women, when you have women literally throwing themselves at you, which is probably why Frank could never stay in a relationship because he was trying to fill that void with other women. Okay, well, I must be in love with this woman, so I'm going to marry her. And I do think he loved all these women to a degree. Unfortunately, I just don't think he was the he should have been married to any of them. Not until his later years. I know he loved those people. He talks about it. He talks about the mistakes that he made, but he cheated on almost all of them. I mean, pretty much all of them. It's not something to be proud of either. But I think part of that came from how depressed he was. I'm not making an excuse for him. I just think that he didn't know who he was. He knew who he was supposed to be. He knew who he was when you could turn it on. But when the lights went off and it was time to travel or time to get on an airplane by yourself or time to go to a hotel room. Oh, that's much better. Nice. Uh, time to go to a hotel room and you were alone. You're only left with your thoughts. You're only left with your, the images of what play in your head. And when you're depressed, those can be very dangerous. Uh, he tried to kill himself. Um, he had a, several attempted suicides. Uh, one of them was when he thought he wasn't popular anymore. 
when he took a massive hit in his career. He lost his voice. He damaged his voice, and people were not signing him anymore. Um, he burned a ton of bridges with the Ava Gardner situation, a ton of bridges. Um, he wasn't getting movie roles. He was playing at clubs that were owned by his mobster friends when he was growing up in Hoboken, New Jersey. He was he was in a bad situation. Um, luckily, that changed, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. So he tried to kill himself. I don't know the details of his attempted suicide pills, I believe. I know there was... Um, I know there was a attempted drowning at one point, um, but he was a pill popper. Even back then, isn't it interesting to think about in the in the thirties and forties all the pills that were around, and we still have a pill problem today. That's anyway, but so he was a very depressed man, which is probably why he sang so good and was such a big entertainer. I can relate to that. Now, I'm not a very depressed guy. Okay, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not popping pills. I've never tried to kill myself. I'll, I'll tell you that right now. I've never tried to kill myself. I've never saying I've never gotten depressed, but I've never thought about that. Um, I, I, I think suicide is a, is a tragic thing. I think it's a very selfish thing. I'm not saying that... I. I I don't understand that people that when they get depressed, they want to kill themselves. Like I've never been there. So I can't say that I've been depressed. Uh, and I, but I've known people that have killed themselves. And I think it's a, a very selfish thing, um, to do, especially when you don't talk to anybody about it. I also think I don't want to kill myself because, well, I'm just not depressed, but it's just, I've always felt like, that is something that would... How many people would I hurt if I did that? You know, dying is one thing. And you hurt... You, that people feel pain when you lose somebody. But when somebody takes their own life, those people have this tremendous amount of pain and thoughts that run in their head that they just don't know about. You know, they just can't wrap their head around it. And I wouldn't want to do that to anybody. And I've also never been that depressed, but... Um, what I mean is I can relate to that center of attention thing because working in the service industry, working in the bars, working in the nightclubs, that's what you are from a bartender, from the general manager, area, whatever you are, you are that person. You are that conductor. I remember one time, and this is in the book. Yes, go buy it. Um, read it, son. Life of an Average Joe podcast.com. You can check out all the stuff about the book on there. Um, I remember working in this bar and I had all the bar seats in front of me full. And this was a small bar. And everybody at that bar I knew by name. Some turned out to be friends, some were those, I'm throwing the air quotes up, friends. And some were just great regulars. But once I left the bar scene, they didn't really care what happened to me. You know, they tried to keep up for a little while, but I, you know, that was my role. My role was not to be their friend. Um, that was a hard thing to figure out at times. But I remember talking and laughing and telling a story. And then I remember people behind them standing. And I remember people on the side of me. And there was probably 30, 40 people there. 
And this was one of those bars. This wasn't a sling them, you know, you know, cocktail, you know, throw my flare up sort of situation. There were nights when that place was packed and I had to sling shots. I didn't have time to talk to anybody. But this was a, people were chill. Yes, I was busy and I had to deal with 40 people by myself, but I was entertaining them. And I remember them all laughing and looking at me and all eyes were on me. And at the time, I went home. I wasn't by myself. But I sat outside. Everybody was sleeping. And it wasn't that I was alone because I was married at the time. I wasn't alone and things were good. This was before, you know, whatever. But I sat outside to unwind and I probably smoked a cigar. And I remember feeling mentally exhausted from that. And I was almost glad that nobody was awake so I didn't have to talk to anybody. But I knew I had to do the same thing again tomorrow. And it felt like for that moment that I couldn't, I only had two switches. I had my on switch, Bar Brandon, which was fun and entertaining and what, and then I had my, I have to shut it off. And I, and I, I, I don't, I can't even, I don't even want to communicate. Like I don't even want to talk. I don't even want to be fun. I don't even want to be entertaining. I just don't want to be energetic. And I would just think. And kind of get depressed. It was weird because I would walk in and I would turn it back on. And like I said, it wasn't that I wasn't happy. You know, I had my family and all that. But I would just kind of just get depressed after my bar shifts and my club. And it happened at the club too, especially the club. The clubs were worse because here I am dressed like I'm going to an A-list dinner with Frank Sinatra. I'm dealing with people that have more money than I have <laughs> these days <laughs> that's not too hard to do and I'm putting it on and I am taking care of VIPs and CEOs and this and that and there's all kinds of people kissing my butt oh man we love you all Brandon thanks for hanging me up oh, Brandon can I see you next week bro? and then I was the last one to leave the club and I was the one driving home by myself and everything was just this facade. So I I think when I when I hear about Sinatra and he talks about it and he writes about it, and some of the people that were close to him talk about him going and sitting in ho you know, at hotels by himself, or sometimes he'd go sit at a table at a bar by himself and just smoke his cigarettes and drink his Jack Daniels. Hey, tell people he just wants to think about the, the show or something. I can almost envision that. Like, he needed that time to shut it off, but he also needed that time to figure out he was deep in his thought. So it's interesting to me that on one hand, he could have this Rat Pack, this crew, and on the other hand, he was depressed and by himself. It was crazy, right? You know, but that then again, Frank Sinatra was also the first teen idol. Like, if you really think about it, before New Kids on the Block and Backstreet Boys and Justin Timberlake and... He was it. He was the first teen idol. Which I think is crazy to me to think about how long ago that was. People went nuts over him. Nuts. You see, it, it almost reminded me of like the Beatles type stuff when girls were just fainting and throwing things. That's what happened to Frank. And he started off young. I mean, he was very much inspired by Bing Crosby. He loved Bing Crosby. Loved him. He literally would try to sing like Ben Frosby, 
Crosby. When he was um, a teenager, he met Bing Crosby. Bing Crosby told him how to sing and, and, and what to do to focus on a singer. Later in life, they got to do stuff together, which I think is is great. But Frank Sinatra started, you know, doing things at the age of 20 that some of us have never, ever dreamed of. Do you know, in 1938, Frank Sinatra is 23 years old. He got arrested. He got arrested for seduction, which is basically he was promised to marry a woman and then backed out on it. Uh, eventually, the charges were dropped because I found out that this supposed single woman was, in fact, already married. So the charges were dropped. I didn't even know you could get promised to that. Could you imagine nowadays if you could get arrested because you promised somebody to marry? Like you said, hey, I'm going to marry this girl, and then you bailed on it? Dude, every day, there'd be thousands of dudes in jail, and maybe girls. I don't know. But uh, that's the picture I have in my garage framed as his mugshot at the age of 23. Pretty cool, actually. Not cool that he did that, but, I mean, it, it tells you the path that Frank Sinatra was on. One of the things was that Frank Sinatra was very, very loyal. And I think it's, I think that's one of the, the things I like the most. And, and I know it's hard to say that this guy was loyal when he cheated on his wives. But, I drink my water. There's multiple levels of loyalty. He was loyal to his friends. He was loyal to the people he worked with. He was loyal to the people that, you know, protected him. He was loyal to the people that he grew up with. Frank Sinatra wasn't one of these guys that would get big into Hollywood and then bail on his people. He took his people with him. A lot of people did that back in the day. A lot of people do that now. You know, sometimes it burns you, but they did. Frank Sinatra was like that. You know, Frank Sinatra, all his wives, although Ava didn't need his money and eventually Mia Farrow didn't need, need his money, but he would continue to take care of his wives no matter what. Even after he was married for the third time again, he'd still take care of his first wife, always. Until the day he died. And I think she remarried, I think. But that's who he was. He was loyal to his fans. He, I mean, he was loyal to the people that supported him. He was always loyal. Always loyal. And I love that about him because I think that's a trait that we don't see. I think a lot of times, even in, in my life, I've looked back at people that have been there since day one, and we may not talk anymore, but I'm still loyal to them, and they're still loyal to me. Because we've been through this thing. I mean, there are guys that, yeah, I, it's probably been five, six, seven, eight years that I've seen. Some 15 years I haven't seen them. But we still communicate every now and then. Whether that be text message, email, social media. We still communicate. And it's great. They're loyal. And I know if I called them and I said, hey guys, I need to do something. I need you guys here. They would do it. <coughs> and that's impressive. That's the kind of loyalty that you, you can't buy. They always say money can't buy loyalty or money can buy loyalty. I think it can for a certain level. But eventually, 
that money runs out. This loyalty is deep. This loyalty is, is built on something that most people don't understand. Frank Sinatra had that loyalty with everybody. It got him in trouble at times. Got him in trouble. It got him in big trouble. It got him kicked out of places that he, he couldn't go back. I mean, it got him kicked off jobs, I should say, not out of places. It got him, well, it got him in the, in, kicked out of the White House, if you, if you want to be honest with you. You know, Frank Sinatra, and I'll get to that, Frank, we had a huge connection with JFK. They, Frank considered him a friend. It wasn't just about him going to the White House. He considered him a friend. And because of his loyalty to other people, and because of Frank not understanding politics the way he should, it got him kicked out of the White House. Frank was so loyal that you guys, you guys know Woody Allen, okay? He's he's a creep, right? He is a creep. I'm sorry. Look, he's he's a perv. He's a creep. They're just he just is, okay? Look, if you don't know the history behind Woody Allen, he's a perv. Frank Sinatra got so mad at Woody Allen that he told Mia Farrow, which was his wife. Do you want me to break his legs? As a man, we have said things like this. Hey, I'll go punch this guy in the face. You want me to knock him out? You want me to break his legs? Frank Sinatra meant it. Frank Sinatra said... <laughs> he went to a former mob boss. Or not even a former mob boss. A mob boss. And said... And this, mind you... This was not a joke... Everybody, he, he ended up later saying it was a joke just so he could avoid charges. This was not a joke. <laughs> this was not a joke at all. This was very serious. Frank wanted Woody Allen dead. Not only did he want him dead, he wanted him hurt because of the charges. Because Woody Allen was charged with some really nasty stuff, okay? I mean, really, like sexual inappropriate stuff like that those are the allegations going on uh, with adopted daughters and uh, it's weird you need to i think woody allen's a creep but then again you know we let him do whatever he wants but that's hollywood for you anyway so because frank loved mia farrow so much and he couldn't understand these allegations about sexual abuse he said i want this guy gone and Frank dealt with old-timers, reputable people. So, I mean, most of them are dead now, and some, most of them, and some were in jail, and some were their ancestors or, or their family members are in jail. But these are old-school mafia bosses. These are old-school hitmen. These are not the so-called new-school guys. These guys had a code. And Frank was so tight with these guys that he almost had this guy killed. I understand that. Well, first off, I understand why Frank was angry. But what I'm saying is I understand that tightness. It doesn't matter where your friends come from. I have some friends that might be considered questionable. But they are loyal. No, we don't get together all the time. No, you know what? I probably shouldn't hang around them all the time. I'm not that guy anymore. But they're loyal. They will always be loyal. And I will always be loyal to them. I will always keep... 
tabs on them and make sure they're okay. I think that's important, and I think it's lost. And I also think there's a lot of people that don't understand that loyalty. So when I hear about Frank, you know, going to talk to JFK, but then going flying back to New Jersey, New York, and hanging out with some mob guys, that doesn't that doesn't really like. I don't think that's shocking to me, because he's loyal. Because you have this loyalty and this friendship. It all walks of life as normal people. Imagine what you do when you're somebody like Frank Sinatra. I mean, it's a different level. The problem is, though, that loyalty got Frank Sinatra kicked out of the White House. So Peter Lawford, one of the members of the Rat Pack, I know most of the people think about Rat Pack. You think of Frank, you think of Dean, and you think of Sammy. Those are the three guys. Peter Lawford, you know, a little fourth guy there. Joey Bishop, fifth guy. But this, those were the Rat Pack guys. Well, Peter Lawford was marrying a Kennedy. So he was brother-in-law with John Kennedy, who was about to go in the White House. John Kennedy got a lot of flack for trying to go in the White House. A lot of flack. He couldn't get a lot of votes in certain areas because of his brother. His brother was very outspoken against the Mafia. Um, he was Irish. Uh, just all kinds of stuff. Frank met John through Peter Lawford. And they became buddies. Legitimate friends. I believe at one point Frank Sinatra really, or John F. Kennedy really did like Frank. Not just because they both had a love for beautiful women. I mean, let's be real. Um, <laughs> John Kennedy and Frank Sinatra going to a club sounds like they're about to clean house, Okay. Both of those men probably shouldn't have been married. Um, but they had this this bond, this man bond. You know, they were smoking cigars, they were hanging out. And Frank was a straight-up guy and told him how it was. And John, at the time, was a pretty straight-up guy. Of course, his family, being the Kennedy, manipulated him and, and whatever. And once you get into politics, your whole world changes. Well, Frank needed help. Or John needed help to get in the White House. Do you know that Frank went to his mob friends to buy votes, just like his mother did? To get the unions to change their votes to Kennedy, to get the unions to push for Kennedy, all these things. The mob did it, too. That's not movie talk. You can look this up. You can read this. I mean, this is real. Without those votes, John's chances, JFK's chances of getting into the White House the way he did were probably slim to none. I don't want to say slim to none. That's not true. They would have been a lot tighter. A lot tighter. But because of Frank and his loyalty to John and who he thought he had a best friend, he, boom, I'm going to, I'm going to help you out. And that's what he did. Unfortunately, once Kennedy got into the White House, the calls between him and Frank started to dwindle, get fewer and fewer, farther and farther apart. It put a strain on him and, and Frank Sinatra and Peter Lawford's relationship because even Peter Lawford wasn't seeing his brother-in-law as much. Or when he was, it had to be with the Kennedys and people that were allowed to be around him. Frank was considered a volatile person. 
because of his outburst, because of who he was, how outspoken he was. Finally, John said, forget it. I'm going to get Frank back in the White House. I don't want to hang out with him. And he did. And so Frank thought it was cool. And John said, hey, I'm coming through. I'm going to be by your neck of the woods soon out in California. I think it was out in California. Or was it? Or was it? I don't remember where it was. It was on like Tahoe. It was in Nevada. Maybe it was California. I don't remember. I thought Frank had, well, yeah, Frank had multiple homes. And I know he, I know he had um, a home in Lake Tahoe. I just don't remember. But I'm pretty sure it was Lake Tahoe. Let's just say it was home on Lake Tahoe. And Frank said, you know what, I'm going to build a wing for you. Frank Sinatra did. He built a very special wing for John Kennedy. And he built a helipad for him so he could fly a helicopter down. When all this trouble, Peter Lawford showed up to his house the day before he was supposed to show up and said he's not coming. And that he apologized and that he just said, you know what, I, I don't think John Kennedy can, he's the president, he, he just can't be seen with you right now. He appreciates your friendship and everything you've done, but uh, he thinks that for now you're going to have to be separated. Frank Sinatra flipped his mind because he looked at that as a spit in the face, like a complete slap in the face, not only from Kennedy, but from Peter Lawford. Because he believed that Peter could have stuck up for him because they were friends and he could have worked it out. And he believed that Peter was spineless. Matter of fact, Peter and Frank Sinatra didn't talk again until later when Frank Sinatra's son, Frank Sinatra Jr., got kidnapped. Frank called Peter because he wanted Peter to call John to try to help him out. That's the only time they ever spoke. They never spoke again after that. He was done with him. He was dead. You're, you, you're dead to me. You don't exist. Frank got so mad, he destroyed the helipad. Destroyed the suite, everything. Just destroyed it. Like temper. Broke everything, smashed everything, lost his mind. Lost his mind. And Frank had been voting Democrat the whole time. From that day forward, he switched, voted Republican, became a Republican, worked for the Republican Party to get people in office just to make Kennedy and Peter Lawford and the rest of the Democratic Party angry. That's what Frank Sinatra did. Screw it. I don't love you guys anymore. I don't like you guys anymore. I don't even care if I believe what you're saying. I'm going to vote against you because I hate you. I can understand that because back in the day when I was younger, I would have took that as a slap in the face too. I used that, you're dead to me. You don't exist, you're dead to me. I use that like, you're either with me or you're not. There's no in between. We're, we're either here or we're not. Now, I don't, I've talked about this before. I don't feel that way now, but I would have. And I can understand that. I can get it. I, I can relate to that. Because when you put yourself out there, and you have this connection with somebody and then they constantly slap you in the face and they make excuses and then finally they think they're you think they're going to make it right and they don't do it yeah i mean you're just burned like you're just burned you know so i i get that interesting story actually i watched uh this there's a show on paramount plus called the offer I don't really like Paramount Plus very much. I think it's got a week streaming, you know, week documentaries, week shows. The shows that are good, like Yellowstone, 
1883. Um, Halo's awful, so don't even bother watching that. Um, what's the other one I really liked? Oh, Mayor of Kingstown. I think those are good, but I think that to, to buy it as a streaming service, uh, I do it for soccer, and then when soccer season's over, because uh, they got Serie A on there, then I'm done. But they got this show called The Offer, and it's all about The Godfather. It's about how they got The Godfather from the book, how Mario Puzo wrote it, um, to how Francis Ford Coppola came on board, and to how they presented it and everything they had to do to fight to get this movie made. It's a really cool story because it really is looking at like three different families. Um, and there's a lot of things I didn't know about it. Like it, it talks about the mob in there and what they felt and and how they almost shut it down. And it's it's kind of a cool, I mean, it's not, it hasn't, it's only like three parts, I think, maybe four. It starts off slow, but it, it is interesting. But if you've ever watched The Godfather, which it's only one of the greatest movies of all time, one of my personal favorites, um, it's on the list of 100 greatest American films. Uh, I don't know what, I think it's number two, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know what number one is. I should look that up. But there's a character in The Godfather called Johnny Fontaine. And there's a couple things in this series I didn't know. I did know this. Johnny Fontaine is a singer that sleeps with, sleeps on his, or he cheats on his wife with another famous hot Hollywood star. Okay. Avoids us, you know, he's, there's a big scandal. There's all kinds of things. And he can't get a gig anywhere. He can't get a job anywhere. He can't, he can't find work. So the lead character, Michael Corleone, played by Al Pacino, he's godfather to uh, Johnny Fontaine or something like that. I don't, I don't think he's godfather to Johnny Fontaine. No, he's not. I don't know what happens. Um, it doesn't matter. No, Marlon Brando's godfather to him. That's what it is. But um, he, Michael, he goes to, to Marlon Brando's character, Don Corleone. And this is before Don Corleone gets shot up. Spoiler alert. And he says, look, I really want this picture. I really want this gig. I, you know, it would really help. But this guy won't hire me because I did this. So Marlon Brando's character sends over their you know, lawyer to the family to kind of negotiate this producer to give him the, the role in this movie. And the producer won't do it. And anyway, they got to take steps forward. Needless to say, the producer winds up waking up one morning with a severed horse, a decapitated horse's head in the bed, which is a warning. It's like your final warning. And it's it's a great scene. Johnny Fontaine gets the part. His career gets a second life. Similar thing happened to Frank Sinatra. Okay? Similar thing happened to Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra suffered a, a massive injury. Um, throat. I forgot what happened. Like It's almost like he burst his vo vocal cords. Couldn't sing. It was raspy. And he can get really raspy at times. And then, of course, he had the falling out with Ava Gardner. And all these studios weren't hiring him. So he was playing at these these nightclubs, these mob boss nightclubs, you know, this mafia-owned nightclubs that he used to play in. But there was a movie that was coming out, and he went 
to his connection, connected friends, told him, I need, I need this part. Allegedly, they made some calls. They sent some warnings. Frank Sinatra got the part. Frank Sinatra, Frank Sinatra won a huge award for that. I believe he won the Oscar for that, if I'm not mistaken. Frank Sinatra was in a lot of good movies, man. Some of them were just fun. I mean, some of them were, you know, just fun movies. And then some of them, like, he was just really, really good in. But the whole point in that Godfather was, I think he won it in, I think he won that, was that 1954? Yeah, he won it for Supporting Actor, 1954. That's what it was. Um, but the thing with The Godfather was, it was From Here to Eternity. I knew that was the movie. Really good movie, if you guys ever want to check it out. But, um, yeah, great movie. Um, but as this was coming out, this book was coming out, and Mario Puzo wrote the book, and then they were going to make a movie on it, the mob was angry that this movie was going to come out because it, it to them they said it makes us look like fools. They're telling family secrets. Uh, we can't have this movie come out. And this was back when the mob was like something. Okay, so Sinatra being friends with the mob, and he just got a picture. You know, he want he got that movie because of the mob, and he read the book and he saw this, and his mob guys were mad. Well, Frank Sinatra's mad. Do you know that one time, at one point, Frank Sinatra and Mario Puzo got in a fight in a restaurant? Mario Puzo tried to pull a, a fork and stick it in Frank's eye, and he had to be pulled off him, and then the mob guys got up, and they were ready to, they, they almost killed this guy. Godfather would have never came out in the movies if they would have killed Mario Puzo. Because Frank said, look, you made that, you that's an insult to me. You sat there and you heard a rumor and you're insulting me, you're insulting my friends, and you're Italian. Like, he went off on him. Godfather almost never got made because of Frank Sinatra and the mob. And Frank Sinatra, to, to the day he died, said he hated that movie and he never wanted to, to see, hear another thing about it. Because it was an insult to Italians and it glorified uh, stereotypes. And he said also it was built on lies. So, pretty interesting, though. But that was Frank Sinatra. That was him. I mean, this was the guy. This is the guy that could tell Hollywood, you're not going to make this movie. And I, again, I think it's, you know, okay, whatever. I love the movie, but I, I get it. Like, here's your people that have helped you out in your career. They could have killed you after John F. Kennedy became president and his brother went after the mob. That's his whole, his brother's purpose was to go after the mob. They almost killed Frank Sinatra. You had us put him in office and his brother's coming after us, indicting us, arresting us, and we put him in office. They almost killed him. There was a meeting that they were going to kill Frank Sinatra, but they didn't because they loved to hear him sing. And I get it. I mean, if you've ever heard his voice, You have to understand the range and the emotion. And it's so funny when people say, think of Sinatra, they think of certain songs, My Way, Strangers in the Night. Do you know that Frank Sinatra hated My Way and hated the song Strangers in the Night? When Paul Anka, sorry, I just totally yelled. When Paul Anka 
wrote that song my way. And he wrote it for Frank Sinatra. He wrote it from the standpoint of Frank Sinatra. Frank Sinatra said, this is an Elvis song. This isn't my song. And do you know that Frank Sinatra gave the song to Elvis and said, you do it. So there's, there's some people that prefer Elvis's version and they think that it, it kind of suits Elvis better than Sinatra. Sinatra's one of those people. And there's some people that prefer Sinatra's version. He hated Strangers in the Night with a passion. Hated it. Couldn't stand it. Hated it. But because of Strangers in the Night, that actually inspired the famous cartoon, Scooby-Doo. Because there's a part in there he sings Dooby Dooby Doo. The animators got inspired by that song and were trying to come up with something that this dog could say in a name, and they named it Scooby-Doo because they loved that Frank Sinatra song. So even though Frank hated that song, hey, at least we got uh, Scooby-Doo out of it. <laughs> Frank Sinatra did a lot of things. He worked with a lot of people. He worked with so many amazing, talented artists. And he would work late into the hours, late. And he would help them put together songs for themselves before he would work on his albums. That's the loyalty. He cared about investing into other people. So much, though, that it was known that if you were going to work with Frank Sinatra, you would be going to bed when the sun came up. Frank Sinatra hated going to sleep. He hated it because he said he, again, had so much he had to do that he felt like he was wasting his time. I can relate to that. He would only sleep when the sun would be up. <laughs> Which I can't relate to that, because <laughs> that doesn't work for me. So Sinatra had a lot of fans. He had a lot of publicists uh, that, that worked with him. But one of his biggest ways to get people to come to his shows was he would pay them. Sinatra would actually find some of these hottest girls he had these girls audition for him who could sing and who could scream and he paid these girls five dollars each to be in the front row and, and and to be excited so it could give him more publicity in the 1940s not to say that some weren't that way anyway but that's what he would do it's interesting um because if you look at sinatra the man from what his music did and you look at him, you know, from a musician standpoint and a pop star, because that's what he was. And you hear the different ways that he'd sing those songs. You can just appreciate him for that. And then you kind of look at him as a dad and a family man. And you see all these little faults. And then you look at him as a friend and what he did with Dean Martin and especially Sammy. I mean, here you had a man that was rolling around in the 40s and 50s, or 60s, 50s and 60s, in Vegas. You had Sammy Davis Jr., a black Jewish man. Wasn't even allowed to go into the casinos. Wasn't even allowed to sit at these restaurant tables. And you know that Frank Sinatra got so mad because one of the casinos said, you can come in here, Frank, you and Dean, but Sammy can't. You know, Frank said, okay, we're not playing here, we're done. And he turned around and walked out and said, either he comes or none of us go. And then when the guy said, okay, Sammy can play, he made him pay double. They did one night there. They canceled the rest of the shows. Never went back. Frank Sinatra could 
make your place or break it, but that's loyalty. Frank didn't care. He told that to record labels. Hey, you put Sammy on the song. Whoa, you know, we've got enough black artists. He said, no, you don't. You don't have Sammy. If you, if Sammy's not on the song, I'm not doing it. And Frank would walk out. He'd walk out. It's got to be the only guy that could tell the, the entertainment industry back in the day, hey, screw you. This is my friend. I don't care who you are. That's loyalty, and I love it. Because it shouldn't matter who your friends are. It shouldn't matter what they look like, who they're... That's a loyalty. And I don't think that anybody... I know there's people out there that have it, but I don't think anybody understands it. That's a level. That's a different level. I know people personally that I'm friends with that don't understand that level of loyalty. And they'd be like, wow, really? Because some people just break when the pressure's on. I mean, you got a pop star who's basically telling you what to do Meanwhile, the FBI's got a 1,300-page documentary or file on him, I should say, not documentary, from his fighting to his encounters with mafia. They used to tail Frank Sinatra. He still hung out with his people. It's hard to say what my favorite Frank Sinatra song is, but I have a Frank Sinatra funeral song. It's actually in my will. There's a song that I love. I just think it's, it's really beautiful, actually. Um... And it's called One for My Baby and One for the for One for the Road. It's really One for My Baby, but parentheses. One for the Road. It's a great song. And it's about him. A guy who's sitting down at a bar by himself, telling him, Hey, get the drinks lined up. I got something to tell you. And it says, you know, I have one for my baby and one for the road. And I want that at my funeral. I think it's a it's a really great song. It's Frank Sinatra. It talks about, it's a bar. I spent most of my life, half my life working in bars um, and, and stuff like that. And it, it also, I've been there where I've sat down during rough patches in my life at a bar with a cigar and a whiskey or a whiskey and a whiskey and a whiskey and a whiskey and by myself after everybody's gone and just processed whatever happened with maybe one person. I can't tell you how many times I've sat there well after the bar closed talking about life. Good and bad and ugly and sad things. When our friends have passed away and we've sat down. I remember when my papa passed away and I went to the bar with friends and then they they were they left and I just stayed and stayed and stayed and stayed until they basically kicked me out. They flipped the lights on. I had to go. So that song to me means a lot, you know. It's a beautiful song. It's kind of sad, but it's beautiful. And I want it at my funeral. And then everybody can go to a bar and drink and have a good time. So when I think about Frank Sinatra, I don't just think about the voice, but his voice is undeniable. His voice is unmistakable. It's one of the best voices that I've ever heard. It's beautiful, powerful, sarcastic, fun, funny. You can listen to five Frank Sinatra songs, all different, and you can get an idea of who he is a person. And that is something that can't be duplicated. We've had amazing artists, many amazing artists over the years, but there will never be another Frank Sinatra, ever, in anybody's lifetime. And if anybody tries to compare Michael Buble to Frank Sinatra, I need you to stop listening to my podcast right now. Buble is no Sinatra 
and he's awful. So stop, okay? Hey, look, I love Dean, but Dean was a different man too. You know, Dean was well, Dean was a guy who's a womanizer, drinking whiskey, smoking, and in reality, he's in the hotel room watching cowboy movies, calling his wife on the phone. That was Dean Martin. Frank was a guy who was smoking, drinking, and, you know, going in the hotel with different, different women. It's really crazy that these guys meshed so well together. So different. Love it. So what about you? Are you a Frank Sinatra fan? You like Frank Sinatra? You guys listen to Frank Sinatra? What would be your favorite Frank Sinatra song? Let me know. Thanks for listening. Hey, you just listened to the Life of an Average Joe podcast talking about Sinatra. I do want to hear your favorite Sinatra song. I want to know what it is. I want to know. Do you guys even like Sinatra? Is this? Did you know this about Sinatra? Is Sinatra somebody that maybe you haven't listened to? You can always email me at the Life of an Average Joe podcast at gmail.com or you can go ahead and check out the Life of an Average Joe podcast.com. Sign up for the newsletter, drop your comments, give me your feedback. I'm on all platforms. Um, Facebook till June 3rd. Uh, then I'll still be on Facebook as far as my profile goes, but Facebook is removing podcasts because Zuckerberg's a dick. So there you go. But I really enjoyed this episode. I should have made it a two-parter because I had so much more to say, but I thought, you know what? I've got so many, I've got a couple two-parters coming up. I just could condense it to one. But thank you for your support, guys. I've been getting a lot of feedback, a lot of emails. I have not done that email episode yet. I promise you I will um, and answer some of those emails. I know I've been emailing you guys back. Uh, I did just get a bunch of new stickers in, though. So I got three emails on stickers. You can go ahead and drop a comment on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, whatever, lifeofanaverageshowpodcast.com. If you want a sticker, I'll send one out for free. That's right, for free. So um, you can go ahead and get one of those. Uh, anything else you guys uh, need to know from the Life of an Average Joe, check out the website. All my sponsors are there, including, yes, the best tattoo, skincare, aftercare, balm, protection ever, Lucky 13s. They just released these new travel size balm sticks. Um, a little bit thicker than a chapstick. Oh my God. So I've now done it on one, two, three, four, five tattoos. I've got pictures up on Instagram and the life of an average show podcast.com. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, this stuff works after like just four days. I did some of them twice a day and then I was doing it once a day. Now that summer's here, you got to take care of your, your skin and you got to take care of your ink. Sun will fade it. So forget just putting sunblock on it. You need to do something to give it nutrients. You need to get something to keep it soft and moist and take care of that and draw those colors out. Lucky 13's aftercare. Oh my God, tattoo aftercare is some of the best stuff. I'm not just saying it because I get good product at a good price. You can also get good product at a good price. 25% off with the special Life of an Average Joe podcast code. That is on the website. That is on my social media. Just click the link, order, bam. And from now till June 14th, when you order, you get a free gift. Only if you use that link. What? It's good stuff. I promise you. Check out the pictures. Until next time, guys, be good.